Good morning, everybody. I was thinking yesterday, uh, I was showing our new intern, his name's Preston, around, and I just started thinking about how, you know, I live here, I work here, and I just started thinking of how grateful I am for you guys specifically as my new family, uh, having moved up from California without family here. It's just, uh, I'm grateful, I love you, that's all. Um, so, and we're done. Let's end there. Just kidding. Um, I'm grateful for everyone here. I'm grateful for you in the gym. I'm grateful for you at home, uh, in the parking lot, or in the chapel. Uh, we're glad you're here. If it's your first time, second time, third time, fiftieth uh, time, we're glad you're here. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for everything. Thank you for the new covenant. Thank you that you've adopted us into your family. Thank you for a new heart, a new mind, new father, new everything. Lord, this is your message, and I ask that you would prevent me from speaking anything untrue or unloving. Lord, may your truth shine. Would you speak through me, God? Uh, You said in John 14 that apart from you we can do nothing. I can't stand here. I can't give this message. I can't do anything without you. We can't do anything without you. We can't listen. We can't pay attention. We're not even the ones keeping our hearts beating. You're the one doing that. Lord, thank you for everything. We ask that you would prevent the enemy from speaking lies or doubt or deceit to us during this time. Amen. Amen. Who are you or what are you? Three weeks ago, we discussed what it means for God to be God, his attributes as God, and we looked at a number of passages in which he has communicated to us who he is, and we must remember if he says something, it's true, period. So if he says something is true about himself, it's true, regardless of what other people say. Standing up here or somewhere else, if someone contradicts what he says, they are lying because he is the standard, the measurement of truth and reality. To disagree with him is to disagree with truth, which is insanity. God has communicated to us who he is and what he is and all of his attributes. We're going to go through some of them now just as a recap of uh, three weeks ago when I preached last. He is creator. He is creator. All these things impact us directly. He's creator we are created. He is a spirit or non-physical. He is sovereign, meaning he's the king of the universe. He's holy, utterly removed from sin and evil. He's omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere. He's omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. Nothing is too hard for him. He's immutable, immutable, non-moving, non-changing. He's steady. He's truthful. He's the measure of truth, the measure of reality. God is wise. He doesn't make a wrong move. That includes saving you and me. God is good. He is kind. He is gracious, and he gives good gifts to the undeserving. He gives the best gift himself to us, undeserving rebels. God is love. He sees the end from the beginning. He's wrathful at all unrighteousness, punishing all sin, whether at the cross in Christ, or in hell by those that reject the gospel of reconciliation. God is righteous. He's morally perfect in all he does. And I know it was a fast-paced sermon a few weeks ago, 
but my goal was to set the stage for a question that everybody has asked at one point or another during their life. Who am I? What am I? What is the purpose of me being here? So number one, to rightly know who we are, we must first know who God is. To rightly know who we are, we must first know who God is. So allow me to explain. The vast majority of the world views God in ways that he has not communicated. Every world religion views God in certain ways that he would say are false. And God, being the resident expert on God, if we disagree with him, we disagree with truth. If he says he is a certain way, that's it. That settles the matter. If he says he's just, he is just. That, doesn't, that means he doesn't gloss over sin. All sin will be punished. If we have a wrong view of who God is, we will have a wrong view of who we are. And the result is that we live wrongly. And don't we see this everywhere? One of the, one of the biggest lies. There's a lot of lies that we're constantly bombarded with. One of the huge ones, especially from public schools, is that what? You are evolved from nothing. You came from nothing. You came from nothing, which became everything, which then became some minerals, which then became DNA, which then became an amoeba sort of thing, and then a fish monkey sort of thing, and now you're you, a sentient, emotional, intelligent human being. You came from nothing, and you're going to go to nothing. And when you look at the news, it makes a lot of sense, right? People living out that worldview. Number two, wrong views of God lead to wrong living. Wrong views of God leads to wrong living because if we don't know who he is, we don't know who we are. And I'm going to say that over and over again. Richard Dawkins, a famous atheist, in his book, River Out of Eden, a Darwinian view of life, Darwinian meaning evolutionary, he says this, In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties that we would expect it to have. If, at bottom, get this, no design, no purpose, no evil, No good, nothing but pitiless indifference. We see in the news people acting out that worldview. Eat and drink for tomorrow we die, right? They've been lied to and deluded to believe that they are nothing more than evolved monkeys, so we see people acting like monkeys. Having a wrong view of God leads to wrong living because we don't know who we are if we don't know who he is. In the 70s through the 90s, a serial murder and murderer and rapist, Jeffrey Dahmer, was responsible for the rape and murder of 17 men and boys. In an interview, he, the issue of people blaming his parents for what he had done or for raising a child who could do the sorts of things that he did was brought up. So if the video's ready, go ahead and please play that. Your dad has wondered about all kinds of things, from the medication that your mom was on during her pregnancy, to 
to the fact that you were exposed to violent arguments in the home from an early age and continuing to the possibility that he might have passed on some genetic propensity for obsession or violent behavior. Does any of that ring true to you? I can see why he'd wonder about those things, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, they're all excuses because I didn't feel accountable to anybody. I didn't feel that I had to to uh, face what I had done ever. And uh, so you, you have, there comes a point where a person has to has to be accountable for what he's done. Can't go, can't go around making excuses, uh, blaming other people or other things. So I, I alone am the one who is responsible for what's happened. Let me ask, when did you first feel that, that everyone is accountable for their actions? Well, thanks to you for, for sending uh, that uh, creation science uh, material. Because I always, I always believe the, uh, the lie that uh, evolution is truth, the theory of evolution is truth, that we all just came from uh, the slime, and uh, when, we, when we died, you know, that was it. There was nothing. So it, the whole theory cheapens life, and uh, started reading books about how, that show how evolution is, is just a complete lie. There's, there's no... There's no basis in science to, uh, to uphold it. And I've come to, since come to believe that, uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the true creator of uh, the heavens and the earth. It just didn't just happen. And uh, I have accepted him as my Lord and Savior. And I believe that I, as, long, as well as everyone else, will be accountable to him. Growing up, did you feel that you were accountable to your dad or to your mom? as the authority yes, figure in the house? Yes, I did. I mean, they, they didn't let me uh, run wild. They were, they disciplined me. And uh, so I felt accountable to them. But afterwards, after I left the home, that's, that's when I uh, started wanting to uh, sort of create my own little world where I could be the one who had the complete control where I didn't have to uh, bow to anyone else's demands, and uh, I just took it way too far. Did you pick up on it? The worldview of we're just slime led to its logical conclusion. Now, what I'm not saying is, is that because one atheist uh, did these horrible, awful things. Every atheist does that. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that at bottom, they have no justification for why those things are wrong. They cannot say to Jeffrey Dahmer, what you did was wrong. They can say, I don't prefer what you did. But when there's no standard, when there's no standard of morality, when there's no standard of truth, when you're just evolved DNA from... What the slop is what they call it. That is the logical conclusion. Do whatever you want. You're not accountable to anybody. Who is to say that rape is wrong? Who is to say that murder is wrong? Ultimately, this is the worldview that the world wants you to have, and we see where that leads. We see it in the news. We see it with Jeffrey Dahmer. We see it in our own lives. Vince Vitale, a Christian apologist, asks this. Are you a being that is from nothing, by nothing, and for nothing? Or 
Are we from someone, by someone, and for someone? Number three, we are created by God to know God. We are created by God to know God. You, Christian or not, you have purpose, you have meaning, you have morality, you have destiny. That is something that that worldview cannot offer you. None of those things. Your purpose is to know God. Your purpose is to enjoy and love the creator who longs to love and know and enjoy you. But there's a problem. And You'll, you may remember from last year when I preached, someone said to me, hey, every time you preach, you don't need to share the gospel. And I thought to myself, yeah, I do. <laughs> you know why? Because you forget, and I forget the gospel. So we're going to go through it again. All these statements are true for all people that God created you to know and love him, to be known by him and loved by him, but there's a problem. And this is where the message goes two different ways. One, for the person who is estranged from God or at odds in rebellion against God. And then we'll finish up for your identity as a Christian. At one time, all of us were enemies of God in rebellion against our creator and king. Number four, all of us were enemies of God in rebellion against our creator and king. Titus 3.3 says this, For we ourselves, meaning Christians, he's writing to Christians, we ourselves were once, past tense, were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Isaiah 1, 1 through 5 says this, The vision of Isaiah, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of the kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's barn, but Israel does not know. Humankind does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful generation, nation, sorry, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? So now I want to discuss that word rebellion a lot. It came up a few different times in that passage. Imagine with me a king over his kingdom. And he rules over this kingdom with righteousness and equity. He is good. He is kind. He is wise. He is loving. And he does nothing wrong. He doesn't harm his subjects. He's kind to everyone in his kingdom. Now imagine a group arises within that kingdom. People who begin to disobey that king's laws, enacting injustice on their neighbor, taking things that aren't theirs, doing things that they shouldn't, stealing from the king, and doing all sorts of evil. Then this group decides to start an insurrection to overthrow the king and take charge of the kingdom themselves. Everyone deciding to do what they deem is right. And this is exactly what people, humankind, you and I have done. God is the king. He's kind to everyone. 
yet we spurn him. We lie about him. We slander him, reject him, and ultimately hate him. What should that king do? If he is righteous and just, which he has communicated to us that he is, justice must take place. And justice demands their death. Sin, this is what sin is. It's a great definition of sin. is a rejection of God himself. Sin is a rejection of God himself, a hatred of God's character. Sin is evil because it goes against who he is. Does that make sense? When we lie, we lie against the truth. He is truth. That's why lying is evil. All of us, every one of us has rejected God in this way. Every one of us has preferred our petty, gross sin to the wonderful, holy, perfect God who holds his arms out to us in times of mercy, but we say no. And we, having chosen not God, we choose other things than God. He says what? Fine, have it your way. And he sentences us justly and righteously to condemnation, prison without parole, everlasting flames in utter darkness that was, was reserved for the devil and his demons, but now will be shared by those who reject the king. Romans 3. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery in the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So every one of us, from the most holy person you can imagine— to Jeffrey Dahmer, to the Pope, to Pastor D, all of us have rebelled against God and chosen sin. And forgive the vulgarity, but in reality, this is what it is. We give the middle finger to God and say, no, I'm doing things my way. That is what sin is. And we, as Christians, need to understand that. We, as humans, need to understand that. We deserve the punishment. We deserve the chains. We deserve being estranged from God because we are his enemies. We deserve a life and eternity without joy because we have rejected joy himself. But God, every one of my favorite verses start with the phrase, but God. Number five, God did not leave me how I was. God did not leave me how I was. God had every right to just kill me the first time I sinned, send me to hell. But he did exactly what we wouldn't expect. He did exactly what we did not deserve. He gave us the gospel. The gospel means the good news that Jesus, who is God in the flesh, humbled himself by coming to earth, being tortured and crucified on my behalf, took all my sin, passed present, and future upon himself and bore the wrath of God, the righteous indignation that I deserved, that you deserved, and he died. But he didn't stay dead. He rose in victory three days later for my justification, and in doing so, not only had he taken away my sin, 
but he gave me his righteousness. We're going to look at a verse that talks about that later. He gave me his righteousness. So now if I repent and trust in Christ, God will not only commute my death sentence, but he gives me the gift of eternal life and adoption into his family. Is this not insane? Enemies in rebellion against God, the creator of the universe. And what does he do? He doesn't just condemn you. He says, come to me. Your, your parents aren't this kind to you. You're not this kind to you. Your wife isn't even, your husband. No, no one is this kind to you. The king and creator whom we have rejected, he has reconciled us to himself. No longer enemies, reconciled. The punishment you deserved, he took upon himself. We were in rebellion against the God and king of the universe, and instead of punishment, he expresses grace to us. And now, for those who are trusting in Christ, we have a completely new identity. And that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time, looking at the question, in light of who God is and what he has done, who am I? We're going to look at a few different passages now to see what God says about us. We were rebels and enemies, far from God, estranged from God, but not anymore. He says we have a new identity. And the word, the New Testament and Old Testament is full of these sorts of promises to you. We can't possibly go through all of them. I'm going to show you four quick examples because I want you during your Bible reading time not to just say, okay, I read my three chapters. I'm good to go. If you read one verse and you just dig into it, seeing what God has to say about you, that's fine. If you read 10 chapters, that's perfectly fine. But I just want to give you this tool because it, when I discovered it, it has revolutionized my life. So Paul here in Colossians 1 is telling the church uh, that he has been praying for them. He's writing out his prayer for them. And he and I are apparently similar in at least one way that we go off on tangents a lot. So in the middle of his prayer, he says this in Colossians 1. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So now we're going to go through this passage, which is just, it's almost a gloss over passage. You read the Bible, you read Colossians 1, and you probably went through this pretty quick. I did a lot. And if we just sat and thought, what does each one of these words mean for me? This is what you would come out with, and probably more. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. The Father, so new Father. Who has what? Qualified you. Qualified. That word's meaning is justified or made worthy, made right, able, made able to receive salvation. He has qualified us, not us. We have not qualified ourselves. For what? The inheritance. What is the inheritance? He is. No, we're going to go through those later. Uh, put the verses back up if you don't mind. Inheritance. He is the inheritance and resurrection and eternal life. Now go to the verse that has transferred or delivered. He has delivered 
from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus. So think about it this way. It says domain of darkness, kingdom of Jesus. Transferred or delivered. In my version, it says transferred. Transferred. Think about it this way. What are the last two letters on that word? Transferred. E-D. What does that mean? Past tense, present tense, future tense. Past tense. What does that mean? It happened. And there ain't nothing you can do about it. Right? You walked into this building, and no matter what you do the rest of your life, it's not going to change the fact that you were in this building. Correct? Okay? Transferred. It happened. Domain of darkness, plucked, kingdom of Jesus. We were a certain way when we lived in the domain of darkness, right? You all remember. You were a certain way. You thought a different way. You believed a different way. And now, team Jesus, we think a different way. In whom we have redemption. Have. Past tense, present tense, future tense. Present tense. Have. I have this water bottle in the same way I have redemption. What does redemption mean? It says it in the verse. Redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In the book of Hosea, it's described that God tells a prophet to go marry a prostitute. He does. He marries the prostitute. And what does she do? She goes back to her prostituting ways. She eventually gets in so deep that she's on the sales block in chains, naked, being sold as a sex slave now. And God says, go redeem her. Redeem. He paid for her. He said, that one's mine. She belongs to me. I'm going to redeem her. In the same way, God has redeemed you. So now, we've seen those things. Let's personalize them. Let's personalize and apply each one of those things to us. So now, Christian, these things, according to the word of God, are applicable, are directly true of you. Number one. We have a new father. We have a new father. These are in your notes, so if you're not writing it down, please do so. Number two, two, we are qualified by God. Qualified for what? Number three, we are a partaker in the inheritance of the saints in light. What is the inheritance? He is. We inherit him. He is, and then we also inherit the resurrection, which is what Dr. Bain talked about uh, the week before last. And we also inherit eternal life. Number four, delivered. He has delivered or transferred. Number five, no longer am I in the domain of darkness no longer in the domain of darkness. Number six, I am in the kingdom of the beloved Son of God. Number seven, I am redeemed. Redeemed. Number eight, I am forgiven of all sin. Are these not awesome truths when we look at who we were, enemies in rebellion against God, and now what? He he has reconciled us. He has given us all these things. So we're going to go through the next verses much faster, but my goal is that if you're willing to really sit in these verses and meditate on them, to dig into them, you 
can find these promises for yourself. Truth statements that God has communicated to us about our relationship with him. This is how we find out who we are. Romans 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, the resurrection, through his spirit who dwells in you. So back to verse 9, please. What does it say? You, Christian, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. You're not in the flesh, you are in the spirit, if, if the spirit dwells in you. Then he goes on to say that we partake in the resurrection. So that word if really threw me for a loop. When I was a young Christian, about 20 years old, I trusted in Christ. I knew Christianity was true. And I struggled with passages like this because I thought, well, how do I know if the Holy Spirit's inside me? How do I know? Like, I, I read that and it doesn't say, have any qualifiers. I don't say, well, I live this way and the enemy comes sneaking in. Anyone else struggle with assurance? He says, you sin still. You think this way, the way you used to think? You did this thing that you did last week? You're not saved. And he uses scripture, right? He did that with the temptation of Jesus. He says, it is written. Satan knows his Bible better than you do. And he comes and he says, you're not saved. If the Spirit is in you. And as I was in the midst of this turmoil, I remember sitting on my couch and I was reading through my Bible. I was depressed. I was in probably one of the worst states of depression that I've been in in my life. And I was sitting there and I, I stumbled upon, I didn't stumble upon, God gave me this next verse. Ephesians 1. In him. I read those, those words and my ears perked up. In him. Okay, in Christ. If the Spirit is in me, then I am in Christ, in him. You, in him, in Christ, you. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and what? Believed. In him were, past tense, present tense, future tense, past, were, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. I set my Bible down and I screamed. I said, yes! Woo! I'm saved! I was far from God and now, according to this verse, I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. It says so. It says, in him you also, when you, Brandon, heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, were sealed. I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. I am his. He is mine. I ain't going nowhere. This is my identity now. I am his. Hallelujah, right? I was estranged, far from God, 
And when does it say I was saved? When does it say that I received the Holy Spirit? When I believed. When I believed. How does this translate to you, Christian? Child of God, if you believe, if you trust in Christ for salvation, if you believe the gospel, you are saved, period, according to his word. You were saved, ransomed, redeemed from damnation, condemnation, sin, death, hell, because God sealed you with himself. He put his stamp. Imagine a letter with a, with a wax seal. It says sealed, right? He, was, he sealed you with the promised Holy Spirit. He put his stamp of approval on you, saying what? Mine. I'm going to leave us with this next verse. Uh, if you're on scripture typer uh, or you do Bible memorization, memorize this verse. And I heard a rumor that Pastor D will give you a crisp $20 bill. So, <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Be thinking identity. Be thinking, what does this say about me and my relationship to God? All have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Skip verse 16, Ben, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So did you see anything about your identity in there? All these things now are true of you. Once estranged, once an enemy, now this is what God says about you. And if you would just sit and receive these things it's from God's word, I'm just taking it out and taking the truth statements, and if I could pour it on you like oil or water, that's what I want to do right now. So receive these, please. Christ died for you. In your place is a propitiation, a wrath-removing payment. You... Brent, Megan, Francis, Josiah, you died with Christ. You live for Christ now because he died for your sake and was raised. You, Joshua, Sabrina, are a new creation in Christ. Old Brandon is dead. Old Bill is dead. Old Angie is dead. There's a new Brandon, a new Bill, 
You are reconciled to God. You are a minister of reconciliation. God does not count your trespasses against you. You are an ambassador for God. From enemy and rebel to child and ambassador. What Pastor Ben says in regards to the prodigal son story. From the pig pen to the family table. And this is the big one. If you remember nothing else, verse 21, if you'd put that back up. For our sake, he made him, for our sake, he, God, made him, Christ, to be sin, to be our sin, who knew no sins. He was perfect. So that in him, this is the kicker, just this is all I want you to remember, that we might become the righteousness of God. You, Christian, are now what he says, not Brandon, he says you are the righteousness of God. Think of how holy and righteous and perfect God is. He says that now about you because he gave you his righteousness. And whether you're Christian or not, I can say this to you. You are not the descendant of pond scum. You can be a child of God. You are not unwanted. You are wanted and loved. You are, whether you are an enemy of God or a child of God, he longs to show you kindness and to save you. That's the new identity that we have. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for this new identity. Lord, we love you. Amen.